Good morning. morning. Happy New Year. I have to start with an apology that my uh, entrance wasn't as dramatic as the first service. See, the first service, when that video ended, there was nobody up here. I was sitting right there. And then Janet was like, Peter. And I had to jump up and run over here. So it was a little bit more dramatic, the first service. Um, But it is wonderful to be here. Uh, once again in Cross Church, and a privilege that I get the first Sunday of 2018. This will go down in history as the, hopefully, the, the best sermon. Anyway, don't tell Pastor Allen or Pastor Blake. He's probably in here somewhere. Um, it is a blessing, though, to be here. Amen? Amen. I just want to introduce myself. If you, if you, if you don't know me, my name is uh, Reverend Peter Fast. I work with Bridges for Peace, and I've preached here before, and I love preaching at Cross Church because I love being here. And uh, it is a privilege. Uh, Bridges for Peace is, a, is an incredible organization because what we are is we're a Christian organization that reach out to the Jewish people uh, in Israel and around the world. So we're in nine countries and based in Israel, and we're bridging that gap between the church and the synagogue, between Christians and Jews, and, and showing genuine, unconditional, Christ-like love. So we reach out to the church with education, and, and groups come to Israel, and we all offer volunteer opportunities. I know many people from Cross Church have have gone some people to volunteer and others on a, on a trip. The, in 2015, I took a trip there with a group from here. And uh, it's just an incredible thing. And when you reach out to the Jewish people, uh, that is just so special because it means something uh, when Christians do it. See, in the Jewish community, you're supposed to be a good Jew. You, you invest in your community. You help out people in your own community. It's expected of you. It's a, it's a mitzvah. It's a good deed. It's a good thing to do. But when somebody outside the community does something and loves and invests, well, that kind of, you know, raises eyebrows. That really is something very unique. And for most of history, Christians haven't done that. We've done the opposite. And so it's just an amazing thing to be a part of such a ministry as uh, Bridges for Peace. And I want to just, like, mention an exciting event that we have coming up this year. And there's a table in the back with posters and um, also information on Bridges for Peace, which you can take. But this uh, April 23rd, we have Masaba San Yosef coming to Winnipeg. Masaba San Yosef, his father was the founder of the terrorist organization Hamas, which operates in Gaza. And Masab was an Islamic radical. He was a terrorist and he was on his way to, uh, in the process of planning a terror attack. And he was um, intercepted and captured by Israeli soldiers. He was interrogated by the Shin Bet, which is Israel's uh, anti-terror uh, secret service intelligence, if you want to call it. And through that and other circumstances, he decided to help out Israel and provide them intelligence that foiled suicide bombing attacks, um, murders, other things. It even led to the arrest of his own father. And in this time, he also gave his heart to Christ. So he went from this radical Islamic terror terrorist filled with hate, to becoming a believer in Christ, uh, which is a couple of things that are kind of negatives against him in the, the world of Islam, in particular radical Islam. First, he, he was working in, uh, for Israel, and he loves the Jews, and then he became a Christian and left Islam. I mean, these are a lot of things. So he wrote a best-selling book called Son of Hamas, and when he wrote that, um, uh, Al-Qaeda put a fatwa, a death warrant, on his head, so he had to flee from Israel, and he lives in, uh, he lives in the U.S., and so he wrote that best-selling book in 2014, a uh, major feature film documentary that was on Netflix was made called The Green Prince was his code name. He worked with the Israel for 10 years 
And we're bringing him to come to speak here in Winnipeg. So he'll be at the Fort Gary. So you won't want to miss it. There's posters at the back. So I wanted to highlight that because that's really exciting to hear his story. I'm also encouraged by the, the sword uh, skills. I was told by somebody on, the, on, the, um, on a, your smartphone, it says uh, the word kills. It takes out the S's. Um, which, which, you know what? You know, without, without Jesus, it does. It, it reveals the need that we do need Jesus. And, um, and that's an amazing thing, though, that we are reading through the Bible in a whole year. How many people here have ever read through their entire Bible? Okay. Okay, how many people here in the last year, so I'm talking 2017, because we just started 2018, have read, ever read through, uh, in the last year, Psalm 119? Okay. Well, hopefully next week we're going to see a lot more hands go up. Because this is an amazing thing, the Word of God. Um, I was at a, a birthday party the other day. Uh, one of uh, the children at the other church that I attend, who's a, a friend of my little boy, we were at that birthday, and I was talking with one of the young men there, and we got talking about kind of commitment, uh, Christian commitment. And we both kind of were like inspired each other and came up with this kind of funny but deep um, line or thought. We said that, you know, like a lot of Christians treat Jesus like a software download. And it sounds really weird, but how many people here, let's see a raise of hands, have ever read your terms and conditions on like something you're installing? They're like, 20 pages, you know, on your phone? One. Man, I should have had like a... <laughs> you did it, that's a joke. I wasn't going to say nerd. Not, wait, I, if you quote me, I'll, I'll deny it, though I think this is being filmed. Um, no, okay, so, okay, one, one guy here has read the terms and conditions. But you know what? Usually all of us, including me, we scroll to the bottom, hit, I agree, next, whatever. And that's how many Christians treat Jesus. They say the sinner's prayer, I got my free ticket to heaven, scroll to the bottom, next, I agree, let's do it. But the terms and conditions in this case is the word of God. And you're scrolling through the word of God. You're ignoring the word of God. This is life. And we have to treat it as such which is the reason I've entitled this Yoked to God's Word for Life. I want to just quickly talk about a yoke. Now, there's a Jewish truth which says, be yoked to the kingship of heaven. Be yoked to the kingship of heaven. And this is in reference to the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And that line, the Lord is our God, the Jewish sages say that that is a declaration of the acceptance of the yoke of the kingship of heaven. What does this mean? It means that Israel was to take God for all time as their sovereign and their covenant with him as the essence of their existence as a people. In the same breath, we would be good to do the same. Yoke ourselves to the kingship of heaven. Saturate our lives in the word of God, in his word and his light. Now, there are positive aspects of a yoke. I love this picture because if I was a photo critic, what would I say? Like one cow is like rolling his eyes, looks really unimpressed. He can't get away because he's yoked. The other cow is like totally posing, okay? But there's positive aspects to a yoke. Um, in this case, we have control, stability, teamwork, unity. They, a yoke literally harnesses power. 
like horsepower. It literally harnesses power. But there are negative aspects to a yoke. Paul says we should not be unequally yoked with believers. Look at that. Paul says we should, be, uh, we should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. And a great example of this warning is the importance of being equally yoked in marriage. Or what about this? Paul warns believers to not be entangled with a yoke of bondage. Galatians 5.1. But being yoked to the kingship of heaven by declaring who the Lord is, that should be the pursuit of our life. That literally should. That's all we should care about. That is what we should strive for in this world. Now I want to put Psalm 119 in context before we dig in. First of all, it is common for Christians, and this isn't a knock at all. This is a good thing. But it is common for Christians to read Psalms and attempt to apply and identify personally with everything they read to an extent. Almost everything they read. And the same would go for Proverbs. You know, we read those and wow, and you put yourself in that position, in that place, and you identify it and you understand it. They approach Psalms and Proverbs as poetry. And indeed they are. And beyond this, Christians give it fair credence as wisdom poetry, which it is. The Psalms are the inspired words of God, just as much as any other book. But they speak to us differently and bring forth a very personal draw because they are poetry. It's very unique than other books. So in a unique way, they can span generations and cultures because it's poetry. We can identify them because with them because they deal with real human issues. Troubles, encouragement, hope. They proclaim wonderful truths about God and righteous living. Both Psalms and Proverbs are instrumental in understanding how to treat our fellow man and how to worship God properly. They are a blueprint to connecting us with God's heart and what he expects of us. Because it's poetry, It touches us very deep in our soul. Psalms contains a couple of things. The Psalms of Ascents. These are incredible psalms that the Jewish pilgrims would sing as they ascended up to Jerusalem and then onto the temple in worship. They would literally sing these psalms, and the psalms are meant to be sung. In fact, when you look at a lot of your your Bibles, will have little headings to the chief musician or to be played with this type of lyre. They were all to be sung, not just read. The Psalms contains uh, something that's called the Psalms of, or the Hallel Psalms, 113 to 118. And these are read during some of the feasts, like Feast of Tabernacles. They were also the hymn book for the early church, you could say, the Psalms. However, we must not forget context and purpose, author and audience. These are very important. Before we start assigning verses to ourselves and deriving meaning uh, to our situation and our day, we must remember why was it written in the first place? Because it's important because that brings you closer. I really believe it. It brings you closer to understanding the message of why it was written. So first of all, Psalms were written often, written to Israel as a prayer and as worship to God's relationship with Israel. And often, Israel is named directly or referenced to as people or my people. Okay? They were written to encourage righteous living. 
And this is very evident in Proverbs, especially for marital, parental, neighborly care, honesty, wisdom, these kinds of things that that these Psalms and Proverbs deal with. They were written for personal grievances and struggles. And that's sometimes why this hits us so much. Grievances and struggles with people and in the context, both fellow Israelites and non-Israelites. They gave, it paints us pictures of life situations, the reality of war and enemies. And in particular, when we look at David, enemies within David's most trusted circle. If you think you've ever had it bad, read the words of David. His, his family were trying to kill him. His, his generals and other people betrayed him and he couldn't trust them. Not to mention enemies as like in the other nations that were trying to destroy him and his kingdom. They also, though, bring forth praises to God for life, creation, his covenant with Israel, his love, justice, mercy, and it goes on and on. And when we read Psalms, we get this intimate glimpse into David's heart and the heart of others, such as Asaph or Moses or Solomon. Have you ever written a love letter to God? I'm not talking about something just in like a journal or a diary, but pour out yourself on paper, whether you're going to come back and read it later or maybe never read it again. You just had to get something off your, your heart, like a burden. And sometimes even for myself, and I'm sure with you, sometimes you struggle saying something to someone or to God. And, and we think differently at times when we write. Have you written out your thoughts of anguish? I know every single one of us has had thoughts, memories, experiences of anguish where you felt at the bottom of life. Have you ever been deeply moved by a poem or seen or felt something that you would classify as poetic? Well, Psalms is the crown jewel of poetry in a pure, divinely inspired arrow to the heart. And it does that. You you read it and it moves. It moves you. Even people that aren't Christians Uh, Even people not familiar with the scriptures could read certain psalms and really be moved. And we also know that David and Solomon wrote thousands of psalms and proverbs and songs that aren't in the scriptures. So why these ones? Well, this is the cream of the crop. God must be telling us something by placing them there. You know, it's like at the end of John when he's talking about the gospel, John, that the, the, the actions, the things that Jesus did could fill all the books in the world. But, well, where are those books? We just have these. But this must be incredibly important. Maybe Jesus did a feeding of the, of the 12 or the 15 or the 20. But we see the feeding of the 5,000. Or we see other things that, that happen. And it's there because God wants us to see it. So Psalm 119 has 176 verses. And I want you to write this down or put it in your uh, iPad or whatever you have, yoked to God's word for life. Just as like something to spark a thought in your mind, in your heart, that if Christ is your savior, this should be something that you jump on board. This is not a call of legalism. This isn't, we don't worship the book of the Bible, but this is an incredible thing to saturate your life in the word of God. And there's a Jewish expression, Torah in the blood. You infuse it within yourself. You can't help but do life with the Bible. You can't do life without it. It's like breath. It's like, it's oxygen. It's food. 
It's a part of you. And Hebrew scholars will tell you that if you see a pattern in Hebrew, which I kind of threw up there, if you see a pattern uh, in Hebrew, that's something that you need to pay attention to. It's re- because it's a clue that something's coming or that the context or this is a central part of what you're reading. So let's look at the pattern. When you read 119, you see the word commandments, is, uh, there's 21 of those. 21 times commandments is mentioned. The word precepts, which in Hebrew is pikud, and that's a mandate from God, that appears 22 times. Statutes, hook. Now this is, a, is an amazing thing. I love this because I just learned this. this. The root of this word relates to a portion like food, like nourishes, you know? So it's like we thirst for the word. We need to be hungry for the word. And that's what it is. And it's 22 times that appears. Righteous judgments or judgments appears 17 times. Law or Torah, the instruction and revelation, appears 27 times. The word or words, plural, both audible and inaudible, because in the Bible, in the Hebraic mind, faith is audio. It's not just something you believe in your heart, but it is lived out, it is spoken, and it's worked out. This is the voice of God, the nudging of the Holy Spirit, that still small voice. So that those references of words are mentioned 43 times. Testimonies, 26 times. Ordinances, two times. And we arrive at a number of 180. In 176 verses, 180 times the word of God is directly or indirectly mentioned. This is a pattern that should take our attention and line it right up into the scriptures. When we look at Psalm 119, we see two important truths are echoed from David's lips again and again. And the first one, love of God's word. David says that over and over and over. Love of God's word. And the second one, hope in God's word. Now hope, and I've mentioned this in previous sermons, hope is not wish craft. You know, in our culture, we say, I hope I get there on time, or I hope, um, you know, that uh, my wife shows up or my friend shows up or that I get to see the film on time. We, we use this of like, we just kind of, we're praying or hoping or it's luck of the draw. But hope in the Hebraic sense is absolute 100% assurance. So when we hope in God's word, there's nothing that goes beyond, below that bar. Nothing. And we look at the word and we have complete assurance in the word. So we're going to explore the wisdom of 119 in its immediate context in the greater context of Scripture. We're going to do that over today and uh, next week. So this question I want to ask first is, how do we approach God's Word and apply it? Psalm 119, verses 47 to 48 says this, And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. So what do we get from here? This is studying the word of God. He says, preoccupied with your commandments. This is doing by action. I will lift my hands to your commandments. He's not just talking about lifting hands in praise. It's action, it's activity. He'll lift up his hands uh, to your commandments. And then doing by word. I will discuss your statutes or I will meditate on your statutes. So, if you, if you drop any one of those, it doesn't work. 
How do we approach God's word? It needs to be those three. They're studying, living, and meditating, discussing, sharing, verbal. If all you do is believe and share, but you don't live, I mean, the Bible would call you a hypocrite. You know, if, if you live, but you really don't believe, it's the same kind of thing. You know, walk the walk, talk the talk. So that is how we approach God's word and apply it. This should really be a part of everything we do. That is really what this passage is saying. If you're doing any, if you're dropping any one of these, then you're not doing everything. Your life isn't full of it. So this is what David tells us in this, his psalm of how a God-fearing individual should base their life off of. This is what life should look like. The person who seeks God's word will be blessed and kept from iniquity for they walk in God's ways. Verse 2 to 3. He'll be blessed and kept from iniquity. Who here wants to be kept from iniquity? With all my heart. I don't want to stumble and fall into iniquity. I mean, that's like the war of the flesh. Paul talks about that. But grounding ourselves in the word of God blesses us and it keeps us from iniquity because we're walking in his ways. We can't help but walk in his ways if our heart is open to his words. You're hearing my words. Well, when you read the scriptures, you're hearing God's words as well. I love this one. Keeping God's word prevents shame. Four to five, verse four to five. How many of us have had shame all the time in all kinds of situations? But following his word, keeping it, that's an action. This isn't just keeping it in your heart. That's an action. It prevents shame. It protects us. We sometimes pray, oh Lord, put a hedge of protection around me. That's your hedge. Oh, Lord, I want to be in your refuge. That's a refuge. When, you, when we pray those things, God isn't going to pull a rabbit out of a hat, snap his fingers, and poof, you'll be gone, and then you'll be on a cloud with him in your refuge. We find refuge in his presence, and he is everywhere. There's nowhere we can hide from him, and it's right here. There's refuge right in front of us. And the, the, the amazing thing is, and every one of us does it, even though that's refuge in front of us, sometimes we don't pick it up. Sometimes we do all kinds of other things, and that's the last resort that we go to. We ask friends, we, talk to self, we read self-help books, whatever, and we don't read this. Sometimes it's the last resort, and that's, that's a tragedy when any one of us does that. The person who seeks God will have his eyes opened to see wondrous things from God's word. And that is an amazing truth. Our eyes will be opened. Eyes will be opened. We'll connect with God's heart. Verse 19 talks about eternity. And Ecclesiastes says he's put eternity in the hearts of man. And God's word opens that up. I mean, even godless people wonder, what's, where am I going when I die? Life is a drop in a bucket compared to eternity. Even the atheist in his heart wonders, is it really nothing after death? I mean, really? Could there be something? Isn't there a quality of life? Isn't there more to this? Man must not fritter away his brief opportunity to infuse meaning into his existence through adherence to God's commandments. And you know what David says about God's commandments? He says they're a delight 
And he says they're a counselor. You, you'll see some things that kind of span uh, uh, books of the Bible. The Holy Spirit's called our counselor. He's our guide. David calls the word of God our counselor, our guide. Someone you can go to and get answers from and help and learn how to live. In 34 to 36, David says that looking unto God for help in this life. That's what the word of God helps. It's looking to him for help. It's yearnings for salvation according to God's word. Yearning for salvation. Now, this is an incredible thing right here. Psalm 119, 44, 46. It says that God's Torah, it says God's law brings freedom when we walk in his will. A lot of people don't think of law and freedom. A lot of Christians. So this, what is this saying? This is not saying that, in the, that the will of man trying to keep the Torah or the law by his own strengths will have freedom. No. It's not saying this. And because when man tries to do that, this often leads to legalism, depression, disappointment. I mean, James even says in James 2.10 that he who keeps the whole law and stumbles in one point is guilty of all. We're lawbreakers. But where's the freedom? It's walking in God's will. That's the freedom. Walking in God's will in his Torah. And this challenges the common assumption as well that Torah, law, or the translation as law, as some Christians fall back upon, equals legalism or is dead and removed, and there is no place, no longer a place for it when one becomes a Christian. Now, I want to challenge us here. Charles Spurgeon said this, and he was, a, he was a preacher in England in the 19th century. He said this in terms of salvation. It is true the Christian is under grace and not the law, but the law is the road we walk upon. That was very interesting. The law or commandments that were given, so the original commandments that were given were never meant to bring salvation. So if you're thinking that it does, well, then you're not getting it. It was never meant to bring salvation out of simply trying to keep them. The commandments brought with it a standard of ethics and morality, not based on man's ethics and morality, but God's. The commandments also set Israel apart from the pagan nations. And the complete Torah... Its law, its revelation, and its instruction exposes the need for a savior. And it directs us in that path where we strive for righteousness by God's standards. It directs us. So it's not done away with. It's not useless. It directs us. It helps us. It shows us that we can't keep it. I mean, when you read the Ten Commandments and then you read even like one who thinks uh, commits adultery in their heart or thinks in their heart has committed it, like, Oh my goodness, we're all lawbreakers. Or that he who hates is the same as murder. It's like we're all lawbreakers. But Paul spoke of the Torah as a tutor that brings us to Christ. So it has a purpose, a very important function. And the opposites, we think of the opposites of law and grace. But in, a, in the Jewish worldview, they see them as a marriage. They're together. Even though they seem to conflict with each other, They're together. You can't separate them. We don't understand true grace without the law, and we would be lost if all we had was the law and no grace. If we had just commandments of morality and ethics, if that's all we had, well, then we would all be doomed because we can't keep those all perfectly. If all all there was was grace but no law, we would think we could live anywhere we want 
and we probably wouldn't even find the grace. The grace is there because we know we can't keep the law, and we're like, oh, we need answers. We need to be saved, and, we, and God offers grace. And it's just like this beautiful marriage. Yet James calls the Torah, and our, tra- our Bibles will translate it, the law, the royal Torah. He'll call it the royal law or the Torah of liberty, freedom. See, there's the word. We walk in God's will. There's freedom in his Torah. There is freedom. Now, I want to digress just slightly. And there's a point to this. Now, our English Bibles use the word law. And this was translated from the Latin Bible called the Vulgate. The word in Latin, lex, uses is used to mean law. But the original scriptures were not written in Latin. The, the, the Old Testament is Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament is Koine Greek. So in the Greek, Paul uses the word nomus, but he is also a Jewish Pharisee. And in his upbringing, when he uses that word in context, it means far more than just a legal code. So when we see the English word law, what do we think of? We think of really one concept, legality, a judge, justice, a jury, whatever, illegal, legal. We just think of a concept, and it does it a disservice. Whenever we see that, that's all we think of, one concept. But you know a Hebrew scholar, somebody who can read Hebrew, you know what they see when they see, they don't see law, they see Torah. They see three concepts, revelation, instruction, and law. They see three concepts to our one concept. And we just like, I mean, we just do this unconsciously, subconsciously. We just do this when we read and we see law. That's what we think of it as. But I want you to change that. Revelation, instruction, and law. And it's like you going into a famous art gallery, the Louvre or wherever, and saying, I only want to see a third of the Mona Lisa. You know, like that's, you want to see the whole thing. So if you want to understand when it says law in your Bible, you need to understand Torah, that is revelation, instruction, and law. And that is the whole picture of that. And when we walk in God's will, that gives us freedom. It's also the spirit of life, and it contains the spirit of death, right? Scripture shows that we're sinful, but it also has the spirit of life. And Jewish people see Torah as both of those. So Paul is often dealing with two themes and when we see law. So the heart of the gospel, the heart of the gospel, God's word and its message has the power to draw someone into freedom. Do we believe that? You can say amen. Well, I believe it. I believe God's word and message has the power to draw someone into freedom. Psalm 19 says that the God's word convicts the soul. It exposes sin in our lives and the need for a savior. Convicts the soul. This isn't John 3.16. We're going back over a thousand years before Jesus. And David, a man after God's heart, looks at the scripture and says it convicts the soul. It helps you be blameless. It draws you to God. Those are all the same themes that John 3.16 or these wonderful passages in the New Testament that we quote. Often when someone says, share a few verses of, of, of proof of salvation, We'll, where do we jump to? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or Acts, or Romans, or we'll, we'll go into the New Testament. But we forget that what was in the old and hidden was revealed in the new. It's right there. Being blameless, not being ashamed. 
So the next time someone asks you that, throw out Psalm 19 as well. Maybe you'll make their heads spin a bit. 119.80 says this, My heart be blameless. Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes that I may not be ashamed. How can David say that? Let my heart be blameless that I may not be ashamed. And he's regarding the word of God. When I keep the word of God close to me and walk in its ways and speak with it fondly and with love, may I be blameless because of your statutes that I may not be ashamed. What does that sound like? Romans 1:16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and for the Greek, that I may not be ashamed. We, some, we don't draw these similarities. David asked for the same thing. I want to be blameless. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be blameless when I look at your gospel. And Paul, over a thousand years later, says the same thing. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So what is the gospel? It is the word written and living. It is the Torah, revelation and instruction and law. It is the message. It is the power of salvation. It is the gift of God through Christ Jesus. And David says in verse 81, my soul faints for your salvation but I hope in your word. Now listen to this. Paul says in Romans 15, 4, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Hope. My, faint, my soul faints for your salvation by hope in your word. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's read our Bible over this whole year, and then let's start in 2019 and read it again. And then in 2020 and read it again. Because you know what? It makes us wise for salvation. It helps us in doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction for righteousness. It's not a one-time thing. You know, if all you do because the sword skills comes up is read your Bible once in 2018 and then never pick it up again, that's so disappointing. It's honorable. It's incredible you want to read it this year. And you should. Do it, please. But then keep reading it. Keep reading it. You'll be better. You will be a better believer. 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, before everything else, know this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they moved by the Holy Spirit. If this isn't inspired, we're wasting our time. If this isn't inspired, we're completely wasting our time, and we better phone up the team that went to Burundi and say, just have a holiday and hang out with your buddies. You know, because this is a complete waste of time. It's not inspired. But if it is, then not only Burundi, but we got to go other places, even in our own city, in our own province, 
We got to tell people. We got to live it. Not just tell people, live it. 72 of 119 and 127. And I love this. It talks about God's word is worth more than the thousands of gold and silver coins. What does the world value and strive for? Gold, silver, power, career, prestige, popularity. But if the Bible is worth more than all the wealth, scratch, scratch your head, then some of us, if not all of us, need to get our priorities straight because sometimes we neglect this. I mean, there are people in countries around the world who are dying because of this. And they meet in secret because of this. And they memorize this because they don't even own a physical copy. It's worth more than gold. And you're, we all have struggles. But David says in verse 81 to 83 of 119 that your struggles in your life should never depart from being attentive to God's precepts. You cannot show up at heaven and say, hey, I didn't read the Bible because I had some tough times. You know, I got a cold all the time. Or I went bankrupt. Or whatever. Regardless of your struggles, this should be at the center. This will help you get through your struggles more than anything else. Do we believe that? Do we believe in the words of David in 8990 where he says, the word of God is forever and his faithfulness is eternal. Do we believe that when David says in a few verses later in uh, uh, 119, 100, the wisdom of everything, uh, sorry, the wisdom of understanding that comes from God's word far supersedes anything else. And David says, that's the best wisdom beyond the ancients. It is the best wisdom. It, uh, it supersedes anything else because nothing else will be an illumination to your path. Nothing else will be an illumination to your path. Your lamp is a light to my path. And it will also help us to hate everything that is false. See, there's the iniquity. It gets rid of that iniquity because we hate it. We don't want to be in the presence of it. It helps us with the en entering God's word brings and uh, reveals the light. We read that in, in, uh, in Peter, how he talks about the light in a dark place. See, even for the simple, you do not need to be a world-renowned scholar, mathematician, scientist, nuclear physicist to understand God's word. God doesn't say, until you win a Nobel Peace Prize or cure cancer, then you can't understand my word. You know, even the faith of a child can understand the key concepts of the scripture. Jesus loves me. God is love. Look what God has done. My, even my... Almost four-year-old said to me a little while ago, out of nowhere, you know, he said, hey, and he calls me Abba, Daddy. He says, Abba, you know, Jesus loves you very much. And I was like, Judah, he loves you too. You know, and I think even though kids say crazy things, I think in times like that, if we pray into our ch children and we're living the example of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind and loving our neighbor as yourself, if you're doing those two things, your kids will just gravitate and catch those things. So I don't believe that's coincidence. I don't believe, I, I believe it's a God moment when my little boy says something like that. I want to close with a few more points. David says he is thirsty for God's word. You know, if I, if I talk too much and don't drink any of this, I get really thirsty. If we don't drink water, we get dehydrated, we feel like lethargic, we get headaches, it's awful, and eventually we die. 
but being thirsty for it. David doesn't say, oh, quench my word after my, quench my thirst after I read a few of your words so that I don't have to ever read it again. It's like, almost like keep me thirsty. I want to always be drinking of your word. And in 119, 160, he talks about the entirety of the word of God is true. You know, people struggle with that their whole lives. Is God's word truth? The world balks at this. They say it's not, or it contains truth, or it's more fictional, you know, myths. It's, it's okay. It's something good to live by, or it should be discarded. We should have less of it. That's what the word says. Sorry, the, the, the world says about God's word. But when we embrace it, 165, verse 165 comes shining through. When we embrace it, we have peace that comes with having God's word. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Shalom, wholeness, completeness. We lack nothing more. And this is an amazing account. When we read Luke 24, 13, 35, you want to see how the word of God is used to pierce and bring about praise and wipe away confusion? On the road to Emmaus, when Jesus appears, and it, with these disciples that are walking down the road, and they're debating, like, what does all this mean? Because Jesus has already been crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. And what does this all mean? And it says Jesus appears to them, and he starts walking with them, and he, and he expounds upon all Scripture. He doesn't just send them a text or hold up a placard or say, hey, you know, surprise, I'm the Messiah. He proves it to them. He uses Scripture exegetically. He preaches to them. He's still a rabbi. And these guys get so excited. No more confusion. And they're just like blown away. He uses the scripture to show that. A friend of mine said, I like to study the scriptures more than I pray. Why? Because when I pray, I speak to God. But when I read the scriptures, God speaks to me. You ever read like a letter somebody writes to you? you can almost, if you know that person, you can almost hear their voice. When you read it, well, God speaks to us. If you say, oh, I never hear God's voice. Well, you're probably not, you're not listening. And you're also not opening up your Bible. Because he speaks to us in many ways. And this is like a primary way. So next week, we are going to zero in on two themes. Number one, David's response in Psalm 119, David's response to the actions of his enemies, his opponents. What does he do with that? Because that's hard. That is really hard when people are nasty to you and, you know, put up roadblocks. You, it's, you don't want to be very godly. But what does he do when people hate him, trying to kill him? You know, maybe somebody's not trying to kill you. Hopefully not. Um, but what do we do with, with animosity when we encounter those things? Also, the second thing, how our personal lives are impacted as a result of keeping God's word. What does it do? What should it do? And that's what we're going to cover next week. Let's pray. Father God, we proclaim you as Lord and King. Savior, we love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it pierces, Lord, that it's a two-edged sword. We thank you that it contains the words of salvation and it draws us that it's timely, that it, it, it's not just for one generation, but it's infinite. It's living and written. It reveals light in darkness. It helps us 
It helps us be better people. It shows us what, really lo- what real love is. It shows us how we should raise our children. It shows us how we should uh, relate to one another in the body of Christ. It shows us what's important and what's not. What is right and wrong and righteous and evil. It directs, it counsels, and it draws us upward. We don't worship this book. We worship you, Lord and King. But it draws us upwards to you. We reach out to you because you first loved us. And that is why we love you. Oh, Lord God, bless each and every one of us here, Lord. Bless us as we go into 2018. Bless every single person here as they open up your word, your statutes, your precepts, your commandments, your ordinances and testimonies, and Torah, revelation. Speak to us through each and every word and passage and chapter. And let us be just changed people, Lord, for you and for your kingdom. Amen. Well, God bless, and I will see you next week.